0: This is the Manga Mavericks Podcast, episode 183. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Lamar Miyasha. And today
1: we are seeing Parasite in a way we've never seen it before, or we're seeing it through the lens of different creators, because we are looking at the neo Parasite Anthologies, which truly show, like, parasites can take any shape and form, and so do these stories, so do these p- Parasite Reimaginings. And we had, like, some really great guests on to talk about them with us. We had Morgana Santilli from Yen Press and the manga. Monty- podcast. And we had on the show J.D. Banks who is the former host of the Manga Corner that Colton and her previously had co-hosted. So it was fun to have them on to talk about Parasite, talk about these anthologies, and what we find interesting about how different authors reinterpreted the world of Parasite, reinterpreted the concept of the Parasites, and what they latched onto and what they found really appealing and resonant about the series. And then how we took those are and how what we resonated with in their explorations and yeah it was a really great look at these cool anthologies that are exploring parasite from different angles
0: yeah uh i had a lot of fun going through these anthologies because this was my first time uh basically reading through them i would kind of like seen them around but uh you know now that i'd read the original parasite manga these were these were really interesting to go through and uh yeah, um, I mean, we don't really have anything to talk about at the top of the show. So I think we could just get right into our discussion. Mm-hmm. It's time to change and shift our gears and
1: get into our discussion of a new type of parasite, Neo Parasite. Like the titular monsters themselves, a parasite story can take shape in many surprising forms. And today we're going to look at some transformative tributes to the series from a lot of acclaimed and eclectic authors. And joining us today to talk about the neo parasite MNF anthologies are two very special guests. We have Morgana from the Longa Academy's podcast. Hello, everybody. And we have first-time guest to the show, J.D. Banks. Hello. Hello. Great to have you guys on the talk, Neo Parasite
2: with us.
0: It's also time for a manga corner reunion, isn't that right, J.D.?
2: <laughs> True that.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I was really excited for this conversation, and I was really excited to have both you and Morgana on, and uh, I'm just excited to talk more Parasite.
1: Indeed. It was a lot of fun to revisit and read through these ontologies. And before we get into them, though, I would like to ask you guys about your history with Parasite and these ontologies, if you had uh, previously had experience with them. And yeah, let's start with you, JD, because you and Colton both covered the series on a manga horn episode previously. So why don't you tell us your history with it?
2: So I, I'm probably gonna age myself. That's okay. Uh, but I actually read the Parasite series it, when it was serialized in uh, Tokyo Pop magazine or Mix Zine at the time too. And that's at the time where they're still putting manga like uh, from left to right, like Western style reading. So they ended up changing like instead of it being Miggy, it was Lefty because <laughs> <it was> left-handed. <laughs> so yeah, that was like 90s time um so i read it through that and then when the anime series came out um super excited waited like a year later to like start watching it (laughs) but it was a a little just some differences between that and the manga i thought the manga was better at showing like some of the parts of uh uh, the subtleties of it better of course different mediums but yeah that's that's pretty much my history with with parasite
1: (laughs) nice and morgana why don't you tell us your history of Paris? I know I knew you read it for the first time uh two years ago for Manga Mac and yeah, just tell us your thoughts and experiences with it.
3: Yeah, so Parasite was one of those series that I, um, you know, I had seen a lot and people have talked to, had talked about to me and I was like, oh, yeah, I'll get to eventually. I didn't really think it was something I was going to be super into for some reason. I don't know why because I, I like horror, but um, you know, I, I read it with, with the guys on the podcast on Manga Machinations a couple of years ago and I loved it. Um, I was really surprised by how much I enjoyed it. So, yeah, and it was a great experience reading it, you know, reading it through with other people to talk about it. Um, I had not read the Neo Parasite anthologies until now. I had read the Asumiko Nakamura one um, when when it first came out and I was still working at the comic shop because I like Asumiko Nakamura. But I didn't have any context for it because I hadn't read Parasite. So I kind of gave up. So it was fun to read these and kind of relive, you know, Parasite and and remind myself like how much I enjoyed reading it.
1: Absolutely. And yeah, I guess that leads me to like this general question for everyone is like how we feel about these anthologies in terms of like tribute pieces to Parasite and the different approaches authors took with the series.
0: Uh, I guess I could start off. I thought these were really interesting, actually. Um, I feel like when it comes to like anthology type things, like I, I feel like m- most of the ones I've seen or read or whatever, usually I feel like really mixed on them. Like Either I thought, like, m- m- most of the stories in an anthology are, like, kind of interesting, but don't really feel, like, very, very like, fulfilling in one way or another. Like, it's like, oh, like, because with anthologies, it's all, uh, some stories are kind of like, here's, like, an idea for a thing, or, like, here's a snippet of a story already kind of being told. Like, it, it kind of depends on the story, I guess. But, like, I thought both these anthologies were, like, pretty good. Like, I, I liked a lot of the stories in them. There were very few of them that I thought were, like, I guess not, not that I thought like any of them were like bad or anything, but there were very few where I was like, oh, eh, that's okay. Just kind of move on or whatever, you know?
1: I appreciate that there were a few different approaches to telling a different type of story in the Parasite world and with the concept between these anthologies. You have like the direct parodies that take Shinichi and me and whatever and just play around with the characters in a humorous, like, sardonic way. Then you have stories that, like, take kind of the world of parasite and explore like a what if, like we have completely detached from our main characters and we just explore different types of parasites and how they choose to live their lives. We have like what if stories like set on entire different like alien worlds. And yeah, I appreciate that we had like different approaches exploring like what you could you do with the concept of Parasite, what you could do with the world of Parasite. And we also have like sequel stories, stories that explore like kind of questions or characters that were, you know, didn't have like their stories like fully resolved or fully explored at the end of the series. Like we especially have that with Ryoko Tamura's child. We have that with Shinichi's dad. And I appreciate that too. So I like different authors, like taking what interested them most about Parasite and crafting a story around that in these tribute pieces.
3: Yeah, it was really interesting to see like, and, and the differences between the two, um, the two anthologies. So my uh, understanding or my impression is that Neoparasite F is like shoujo, primarily shoujo mangaka and, and Neoparasite M is shonen. Um I don't, Think it's like a one to one exactly because like Moto Hagio is in M and she does both, you know.
1: Yeah, it mostly is because of the magazines these tributes were published in. So I guess to, oh, yeah, you should, I should get some context for that. So both of these ontology pieces like started up concurrently in the, the September 2014, kind of in promotion for the Parasite anime. And so the Neo Parasite F stories were run in Kadanja's now defunct Aria magazine, which was a Shoujo same. Magazine. Uh, so notable titles it published include Number Six, uh, Manga Dots, Alice and Murderland, which is why you see a lot of the authors of those series write pieces for it. And then Neo Parasite M was Afternoon Magazine. And that's also why you have a lot of like afternoon opters uh, right for that. But yeah, so the M pieces were run in Afternoon, which was a seinen magazine, and the F pieces were run in Aria, which was a uh, shojo same magazine. And that's basically the distinction. And yeah, you, you do have like mostly seinen opters in the M collection, and then mostly Shoujo for the F collection.
3: It's interesting because I I think I personally like the F collection better or there were more in the F collection that I liked. Um, And I think that's partially because I like the ones that are mostly like, you know, we're we're exploring Tamra's child, you know, like the like things like things that are like emotional and and have a lot to do with like relationships. Um, But there were a few of those in in, uh, Neoparasite M too. I really like Motohagyo's, even though there's very little to do with like the parasites themselves
1: yeah i know that was really great it's because it really is like you don't get the connection to parasite until the very end of the story which i appreciate but once you do get a connection that we, we understand that you're the protagonist you're following with tamura's child that recontextualizes in a really cool way i really appreciated that but yeah it's a, it's a compelling story in its own right of just this girl who you know is kind of still reeling with like her relationship to her long absent mother she only has like These weighing stuff, and she has like some like super human kind of cognitive abilities in terms of like a really great memory and sensory memories and stuff like that. And then this voice in her head that is just like calling on her to kill, which is like never quite fully explained. Is it like a message that she had heard like Ryoko say once and it's just ringing in her memories? Is it like some suppressed like urge from the fact that she's a child of a parasite and the parasites have that like deep encoded kind of desire in their brains to like kill and eat any species it's left ambiguous but like I really appreciated just the story of like this girl trying to like kind of explore on identity and reconcile her relationship to her mother and then just getting some closure of that when encountering Shinichi and learning that her mother had protected her when she was a baby but then you know there's still that sense of longing as of like not fully understanding like her her place in the world and what she really is and it, it really made me want to see like a full story from Hagio exploring this character and this concept like uh, that one is one that really left me wanting to see like oh man I would love this had been just the, the first chapter of a longer series exploring this character
0: I thought the moto Hagio one was kind of interesting um just a confession this is my first time reading any of Moto Hagio's work
1: unsurprising. <laughs>
0: Um, which I, I know I should fix that at some point. Um, so yeah, it was just kind of interesting because like, I mean, I, I don't know, to me, like it kind of felt like a story she was already like, uh, she was already kind of like writing or drawing and it just kind of happened to have parasite elements in it. Like I, I actually would have been fine if it was just like, you know, uh, if it didn't have any relationship to parasite at all. Cause I, I think it actually would have, like, I, I would have been fine either way if it was just like just like a normal story of hers. And it wasn't like just a part of this anthology. Like, I I think I would have liked it either way.
1: It could have worked attached in Parasite, but it was clearly very much inspired by the team's story, especially this idea of like the nature of humanity and like what makes someone like a monstrous person like we have like the kids, uh, like brother who like killed his mom and stuff like who's like, you know, kind of like the serial killer origami in Parasite. He's just like a the killer so we have like kind of some reflection of that and some discussion of like this killing people like make you into a monster and stuff like that so i think hagyu was definitely commenting on the themes of the story while writing the piece but also she had her own like interest in like as she mentioned in her like doctor comment like she was interested in exploring like no theaters through the main character too And like having that have a connection to her journey in terms of exploring her identity. So I like her combining like this separate thing. She was interested in bringing that into the world of the Queen's Parasite.
3: Yeah, I think um, I do think that this is very much inspired by Parasite. But Colton, to your point about it could it could not be and it would also be just as good. It does feel like her other work, you know, that that's not that doesn't have anything to do with Parasite. And it does feel kind of like other manga, like of her cohort you know there's there's this like blending of themes and you know i love the i love the aspect with the no theater just kind of tying in this like idea like she had this inspiration and it it just worked for this story so well yeah i like that one i mean motohagi is kind of a you know she's an institution <laughs> so it, it makes sense that that was a really you know a really good one um i thought anyway i thought it was really quite good i think that was Perhaps my favorite one in the M collection. Oh, I think there was another one in the M collection from um the father's perspective. Was that an M or an F? Oh, that was F. Yes, that's right. I liked that one a lot too. But like I said, I'm kind of a sucker for those like emotional like relationship, like parents stuff. Um I I read (laughs) I read Parasite for the first time when I was pregnant, (laughs) which was a really interesting experience. (laughs) It felt very appropriate, you know, so all those stories like with Tamara and, you know, with Shinichi's parents and things like that, they really kind of feel, I don't know, I feel very
0: close to them in a lot of ways. I can only imagine, yeah, like, you were saying. I, I can only imagine the uh, the Tamra stuff pr- probably hit you in a very different way, in particular.
3: Yes, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and I really like her. I really like that character. I think that was a really interesting perspective to have in in Parasite. And so I got I got really excited when there were a bunch about her, like her kid and what what could have happened afterward. And to that end, there was one in the. M collection, I think it was the one by Peach Pit, that was like, let Tamara like, teach you how to be sexy, <laughs> like, how to sex. And I was like, oh, I, I've got to go, Like, I have to go feed my baby, and I didn't bring my modesty blanket. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, are you kidding? This is so weird. <laughs> that was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> I thought the uh, the M collection of stories, I guess compared to the F collection, I mean, not not that it not that it didn't have these, but like I feel like the F collection had more like complete stories in a sense, whereas I feel like M has a lot of like, especially when it comes uh, when it came to the stuff from uh, uh, Takayuki Takia and uh, Yasushi Nirasawa in particular, stuff that like weren't really even like comics, barely.
1: They were experimental comics. Uh, Takia's with like his like photo recreation type images. That it told a narrative story, but yeah, yeah. they they were experimental with like the form of like what comics are.
0: I mean, uh, th- that kind of stuff I was not expecting. Uh, yeah, just like the, like the sculpture work and everything was really well done, and uh, I, yeah, I don't know. There, there's like a lot of stuff like that, whereas I, where I feel like there's a lot of stuff in M in particular that I feel like oh, this is this feels like a lot of like concept art, you know, like not, not that it's not telling like a complete narrative or anything, like you were saying, but you know, th- th- there were, like, a lot of, like, interesting concepts or ideas in there, like, oh, what if this old woman had a parasite in her? Or oh, what What if we spent time on, like, the parasite's home planet, quote-unquote, or whatever, and, like, what their society's kind of like for, like, a few pages or whatever. That that, that kind of stuff was interesting to me, uh, but I-, I think the F collection, like I said, had, had a- like, more complete stories to me that felt a little more, like, fulfilling, but... That that's just my opinion in general.
1: Yeah, I do get a sense that the M collection of stories, as a whole, did have an interest more in the world of parasite and like the parasites themselves as a creature, whereas the F collection of stories are more focused on relationships between characters, with the parasites being able and how that changes a person, changes relationships between the characters, and I do find that like an interesting difference in a an approach or perspective, I guess, from the authors. And that's not wholly true because we do see like a little bit of crossing a boat in the different collections as well of those st- different types of interests and approaches, but I, that is a general vibe that they get from them. I will also say with the comedy, like shorter chapters in M, those do feel like more kind of episodic compared to like the comedy ones in F, which do feel like more, yeah, fully formed like pieces in terms of like telling a story, even though it's ultimately also just like kind of jokey interludes, like the Otome game one, like the cooking show one and stuff. As opposed <laughs> yeah. to in the M collection, we have... You know, stuff that is like direct parody, crossover parody, even between, you know, Parasite and several series like Kira Mashima doing the fairy tale one and then the Ekoda-chan one, the Chinless Gan one. So it's like the author's like, hey, what would happen if our characters are in the world of parasite or if parasites are in a, my series' world and
3: stuff like that?
1: The fairy tale one is one that I know for sure I had read before any of these other ones way back in because it was actually put on Crunchyroll manga. So yeah. Interesting. Like that was the first of these I read way back
3: then.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't wanna come off like I I now it's time to dog on Hiromashima, but um
3: let's do it <laughs> <Go>. gloves off <laughs> uh,
0: i i don't know i think that one was if i really had to think i think that one's probably my least favorite just because it's like well i mean i, I get it like hiromashima's kind of known for like you know the, reusing like whole characters and just having whole characters from his other series like cameo and in a bunch of different series and all that kind of stuff but like I would have been more a little more interested in like seeing like a new story from him instead of just doing like a fairy tale crossover, but like that that's just me.
1: I mean, it basically retreads Shinichi and Migi's encounter with the dog parasite, but in this chapter he encounters Happy, you know, merged with a parasite, which there are funny things in that. Like I like the the one page of like, just happy yelling, you're the one affected by a parasite actually did get me with the comedic timing of that. But it is the least imaginative in terms of being a parody because it is just a retread of like plot beats in the series. But now it's just Lucy and Migi instead of Shinichi and Migi. And yeah, so I, I do think that uh, I could have done more that was apparent or playful with the concept. Uh, but you know, pairing Lucy and me together is funny because they are both played by Aya Hirano in their anime <laughs> versions so you know that's, that's the connection there and that's that you know it's good to do something with that but yeah you could have uh, told something more interesting I think with Lucy and Nigi together as a pair because I think they work off each other well but it's just yeah you could have put them in a more interesting story
0: mm-hmm. I mean I also got the C Plu for a little bit which he's probably like my favorite of uh, Hiromashima's like mascot characters so I, I couldn't complain too much um It was funny to see, like, happy with, like, his parasite wings. Yeah,
1: I'm just saying I, like, still with the same, like, kind of happy, like... Blank expression. That, that was. <laughs> see, there are some funny, like, visually items of that, but yeah, I thought that in terms of the parody ones, the Ekotachan Chan and Chinless Gan ones were better in how they use those existing characters and how they interacted in the with the parasite in Kotochan's case, and then in the parasite world <laughs> and interacting with Mitsio in uh the Chinless Gen ones case.
0: The Akoda Chan one made me want to read more Akoda Chan. I can get behind a gag comedy about. About this woman just kind of going about her life and just just wants to be naked at home because she yeah. can't.
1: <laughs> Free spirit and nudist girl.
0: Like the anime from
1: a few years back that had like different directors on each episode it was very experimental, it was quite good. So. I definitely encourage that. I would like to see more of that manga come over here as well. But yeah, that was a, that was a fun one. Like the idea of like parasite a CODIS vagina and how that interferes with her life. I love how it, when it tries to one of the parents tries to enter a CODIS sister, a CODIS sister's brain just eats it up. And so it gains all the powers for the Codan sister still. The main personality. So, that was a funny one.
0: I feel like there'd be people here who would be really into that series, just from the little I've seen of it. I'd hope so, yeah. Seems like the kind of thing people would like, I think.
1: And then the chinless skin one, I definitely had uh, Hiromoto's very uh, ribald sense of humor. Yep. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I quite like the gags with the chinless skin and his friend Mitsuo, because I, I couldn't tell which way of, like, you know that there was consent involved in some of that stuff. I think the punchline of it, like she goes over to her friend's house after like, it seems that Gan and his friend has moved out. And then she sees that her friend is was slept, or slept with Gan and his friend the night before. And she's like, and it's a parody of the scene where Missy was like saying, Oh, she needs you, you did. But here she's like, Oh, Gen, you did. You got played. I think that's funny. I thought that was a funny punchline, but yeah, uh, uh, Hiromoto's like sense of humor can be hit and miss with me, and that was the true with this one too.
0: Yeah, I got a little, I got a little creeped out at like the moment in particular where they're just like t- hovering over Mitsuyo, like as she's sleeping. I'm like, okay, come on. <laughs> and they
1: grope her at a point I can't tell if she's into it or not. but It was
3: uncomfortable.
1: Yeah, Hiramoto's work tends to cross the line for me in a way that I don't think i appreciate as much as uh
3: other folks but yeah that's understandable it's so funny to think i like i know that he's best known for like prison school right but me and the devil blues is great exactly and that's the only thing of his i've read so like (laughs) i'm sitting here like yeah i know he can be naughty but like he's a really good artist (laughs) um but yeah but but me and the devil blues is the only thing i've read so it's really funny to read something like this from him and be like wow this is like totally opposite
0: (laughs) I know, J.D., you didn't really, unfortunately, get, like, much of a chance to, like, explore these uh, collections too much. Um, I mean, are there any, like, stories from any particular authors from this collection that you would be interested in checking out that, like, stand out to you that you want to hear more about? Or?
2: Asumiko Nakamura, Because I, I actually am collecting classmates in the, the English uh, serialization of it uh, in, in the volumes. And so I'm always and, and they have a very uh, unique art style as well as storytelling style. So I'm really excited about, like, collecting this series. But just to know that there's, like, oh, there's a Parasite, like, story that they put in. I'm like, all right, I gotta go read that story at least, you know. That's what I'm really excited for. I'm not too excited about the – I'm not really into, like, the the F series too much, like, from hearing y'all talk, because I like – uh Honestly, I'm not actually even into horror, but I do like Seinen and Shonen style series. So I, I'm i only recently getting to more shojo kind of area, but I'm still not really into it. So <laughs> so I'm like, all right, I got to check out the M series, especially. But I do want to see Nakamura's story.
0: <laughs> I'm glad we're both kind of in the same boat here in terms of like the F collection, because the, the, the M collection, I, I was a lot more familiar with most of the artists, whereas like the F collection, I'm... You know, uh, as I've mentioned before on the show, um, shojo is kind of a blind spot for me. So there were very few artists and authors from the F Collection that I recognized. But I, I did end up liking a lot of the stories in F a bit more, I think.
1: To be fair to you, Colton, a lot of the authors in the F Collection do not have their works translated over here. Yeah, oh, okay. I was just going to say that. I did recognize several authors who have had their works translated and whose works I have read. Nakamura, Emma Toyama, Kariyuki in particular. Like, I love Alice in Murderland. Yeah, so, like, those were authors. Oh, no, uh, the Attack on Titan, No Regrets author, Hikaru Suriga, and uh, Hari Gu, and Liar Harper, and Rinjura Those are the authors, like, I recognize when I was familiar with their work. But the other authors, like, I had not read their works before. I don't think their works have been brought over that's true also of like some of the authors in M, but there's some more like big name recognizable authors in M as compared to F where like F does have big names like Nakamura, but like, you know, M has Hiromashima and Motohagyo.
3: And like when Neoparasite F first came out in English, Nakamura wasn't really that big a name. I think the only thing that was available was Utsubora, which is like a very niche book. Yeah, that's (laughs) That's
1: the first work of hers I read. But yeah, I was also the first one that came out, I think.
3: Yeah. So, um, but the Nakamura the Nakamura story, the beginning of Neo Parasite F is probably my favorite, but I really like her work a lot and I love her weird art. And I think her weird art really suits the parasites. Uh, that was something I wanted to ask you guys about. How you thought different artists were able to convey the like weird body horror monster stuff. Cause I don't know that everybody I mean you know the original is obviously excellent parasite they look they look cool they look creepy but uh it's really interesting to see the interpretations and i think that you know some of them really got it and for me and some of them like it's fine you know like they did okay they did their best you know (laughs) it's it's not easy but i did like asumiko nakamura's uh because i just feel like she has this like her artwork is a little creepy yeah it has kind of a creepy vibe to it kind of regardless even when she's writing her like sweet bl stuff there's kind of like they're all very long people <laughs> that's true
1: yeah long and slender and i think that worked well with the uh, characters in the story particularly the parasite like vendor person was like selling the parasite to this terminally old man and then it's revealed to be a composite of different parasites who like you know sends out uh not a parasite to unsuspecting victim they take it over they come back and they merge into the new body and I thought that was a cool, constant creepy story. I loved the final image at the end. And I love the cover, too, of it, of just the idea of, like, the composite Parasite shells inhabiting this one body. It's it's really cool visual. But, yeah, like, in terms of uh, design-wise of the parasites, I think that was, Nagamura's was the most interesting to me. Other authors, I think, did a good job of, like, recreating uh, parasite designs from uh, the original, from Mwaki's, that were very similar, and they looked, like cool and looked like parasites, but didn't stand out as much to me as their own distinct things. I think the pair of Grant uh, costume armor things in uh, Nirasawa's in the M collection were interesting. That comic as a whole, like it felt like a little kind of too muddy in terms of colors like i appreciate it was in color but like it, it felt like kind of the american comics thing it's something i don't like in american comics where it's like over rendered over detailed to the point where i think like a lot of the action a lot of the art kind of gets obfuscated but i thought the design was in the and the idea of like creating these kind of armored costumes applying like these parasites uh, into them was an interesting idea so i like that uh design wise
0: I think I mentioned it before, but uh, I think in terms of uh, in terms of like what kind of creeped me out the most, I do think Takia's entry was uh, was kind of the creepiest to me because of like b- because of that advantage that it sort of had over like the actual manga chapters that were in these collections, and that you know it was able to look more real because he actually like sculpted those models and stuff. They looked like the grossest to me, and like <laughs> I, I, I actually I actually kind of felt for a second like wow this like looks really real. Or whatever. Yeah.
1: No, yeah, absolutely. It was really good sculpture work. And yeah.
3: Yeah. I At first I thought it was like a photo, like of a person, like a real, an actual person. Yeah, um, yeah. Not a sculpture. And uh, I, I did like that one. I did not like Paragant uh, very much either. Um, visually or even like kind of conceptually it was kind of hard for me to follow. Yeah. It's interesting.
1: Some of these run with the idea that the parasites are like aliens or from alien worlds, It is not really the idea of the original manga.
3: Right. But it is interesting to see how, you know, a lot of these creators have lived with Parasite for a very long time, right? They read it as children. It's been very important to them for a long time. And they've taken, like you said earlier, Lum, they've taken what they like about it and kind of distilled it into their own like tribute, um, you know, picked picked the, the parts that are, are most interesting to them and kind of spun it their own way. Um, which I do think is cool. So, so like you know, conceptually, not super into Paragant, but like somebody is right. Like I'm, I'm sure somebody else connects to that. And there were a few in the in the M collection, especially like the military ones. Um, like you were saying too, that like the M collection seems very into the world of Parasite, whereas the F collection is a little bit more like interpersonal relationships or the characters and story. I didn't like the military ones. I was just like, oh. So i just like, I don't care. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, the military one's distressing because it feels so real. Like, yeah, the American government would totally
1: uh, Absolutely. manipulate these parasites. And, oh, yeah, other countries would also do that, too. So now we have super parasite soldiers fighting during and massacring people and some parasites instruments of American imperialism. It's not great.
3: I will say the artwork in that one in particular with the American army was very good. I thought it looked great. I yeah. thought it looked really good. I was just like, yeah, it was a little depressing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we definitely mentioned uh, when we did our actual Parasite episode that if this happened in the real world, this would, for some reason, become like a bipartisan issue in the government or mm-hmm. whatever, and just kind of talked about how kind of real and uh, everything that was, and it just kind of depressed us. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: and the, the note at the end, also, like the Parasite, you know, is a instrument of the American male theory, but is also like scheming to get stronger in order to this royal of humanity is also another depressing note it's like yeah of course humanity would host itself on its own pathar by trying to use these monsters to massacre here and then that turning back against them so yeah that was a depressing one a good action and it was a good exploration impl- in the idea that was mentioned in the original one but not like fully explored right but uh well, I think we should continue on with the F one, but there were other ones in the M one that I r- really liked. Uh, actually, my favorite story, I think, across the collections was Mariota's Ota's Eat It Tonight 2, which is just the story of this, like, parasite who ended up in his relationship with this woman who, like, you really appreciate how, like, well-balanced the nutrition her meals were. Oh, that was yes. good, Yeah. I like that one. And then he ends up creating like this long family, ha- long life together with her. And, you know, he like says to her, and when he proposes like with you, I think I could live like 140 years. And like physically, like he does end up living that long. And then like kind of towards the end of life, he's like reflecting on his life and he's never like satisfied. His mule is really after his wife passed away. He's just thinking at the end of his life, like what was the point of everything? And he tries to eat like one of his grandkids, but then he like kind of stops himself He's like, he's been stoked this entire time but like uh, when he sees like it's gonna be able to think of like how cool like he is when he transformed he's like he <laughs> kind of chuckles to himself and like he kind of feels satisfied with his life as he's lived it, and he ends up passing away and i thought that was just a really sweet story about like exploring how this parasite just integrated and started a family and just lives like a long life and a happy family life I really liked that. And it really made me want to see more Adiota's Parasite sequel, Monk Parasite Reverse, come out over here. Because, like, they did such a good job with this short story that I know that, like, their work on the sequel series is just probably really strong, too. And I also am just a big fan of their series, Tapu. uh, So I just love seeing more of their works over here.
3: Yeah, I I liked that one a lot, too. And, like, I mean, I don't know, I'm a sucker for, like, the monster becomes like integrated in, you know, and like has a happy life, <laughs> you know, um, which is why I like Parasite because I do feel like there's a lot of like sympathy for the, you know, for the monster type of stuff going on there. Um, and I'm also a sucker for like environmental themes. So Parasite really checked my boxes, but, um, Yeah, I thought that one was sweet. And there were, and there were a few like that. Um, I was surprised to find those in in the M collection um, a little bit. I, you know, I, again, I went in kind of with the kind of stereotypical opinion that is like, okay, this is going to be like the hardcore, like shonen action stuff. And like the F collection will be all like, you know, sweet family stories or like character driven stuff. But there was, there was a bit of it in M that, that I, and they were really strong. Those ones I, I felt a
1: similar one, though slightly more twisted in my like, concept is the strange one by Takatoshi Kumakura, which is about this parasite who is kind of made like a, a family from some of this like rural area. And he's kind of like originally the body that he had taken over was like seriously ill. So he experimented with ways to transfer bodies until he got a perfectly healthy one. And then he's like started to create like all these different families of various places to have backups. At least that seems to be the case is that he only sees these other families as like, oh, these are just new bodies for me to transfer into. But when this other parasite comes to his territory and it's like kind of cruising around for prey to hunt and he like is luring them off to like this hole in the cliffside, like he's being interrogated, you know, have you been changed by having like these families like are you really this cold and just this thing? Oh, this is from a utilitarian way and like the guy reassures him that oh no yeah like uh i can't always protect these but you know it's good to have these backups but like i think the implication is he ends up killing this other parasite in order to kind of protect the life he now has in this rural countryside. Mm-hmm. And perhaps like the relationship he's formed, you know, perhaps it originally was started for this idea of like, oh, I just want backup bodies. But perhaps now he really has grown to care about this family, about these children that he has. And so I like the, the nuances and the idea of that one a lot too.
3: And uh, it's interesting how that story and also the um, Oto, when we were talking about before both kind of approach this idea of like affection from the perspective of the the parasites as like kind of a different, you know, like they're feeling love and affection, but it's like a weird, um, to us it seems strange, right? Because they're like, you know, the one parasite is like, he he loves his wife and he loves his family, but that love is like she makes healthy meals, you know, like it's like a weird, like kind of logical,
1: like no utilitarianism, like originally initially motivated by like self survival, like, Oh, this is right. to my benefit. But then no, they actually grow compassion and care for these individuals that they initially are like only trying to be in relationships with to use them. But then no, they actually do care about them and feel a sense of like attachment and closeness. And in the case of the protagonist and Ota's story, like a sense of loss and longing after, his wife passes away.
3: And they live their whole life together, and she never finds out that he's yeah. a parasite, which I always thought was very interesting, too.
1: Yeah. That one was a very sweet
3: story. Mm-hmm. Moving back to the F collection, though, there's another one I liked, and I mostly liked the artwork. Um, it was uh, First Contact by Asia Watanabe. Um, I don't, I'm not familiar with this artist's work at all, but it just looked so... Good. Um, it's the one where like this teenage girl has a parasite in her stomach, in her tummy, or it's called belly, and she there's like a new priest at her school or whatever, and he has a parasite in his back and she wants to see the parasite and she's kind of like, you know, manic pixie dream girl kind of sixteen year old. Um and it's definitely implied that there's gonna be like a romantic relationship between them, which I don't love. No. Yeah. <laughs> but I just thought like it just looked really good. Like
1: Yeah, no, Wagner's arc was really striking and pretty like i do like that a lot i admit that the story uh was probably my least favorite because of the implication of like oh there's a mutual attraction between this teenage girl and this adult man <laughs> Yeah, it's a note from the man's parasite that oh his blood gets circling he gets excited around this girl. It's like "Mm, Uh, I I could have done without that. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. and the ending note of like oh perhaps we're gonna see like human lovemaking in the near future is like
0: "Mm, no,
3: I know it's such a staple of certain like shojo stuff that I'm I've almost become like not immune to it. I don't like it either, but like
0: you're desensitized.
3: Yeah, I was like ah yes, just let it roll over, (laughs) just like it's fine. It's gonna I I know I knew it was gonna happen. I knew the second they introduced him it was going to happen so um but yeah it's it's not great but i thought it was really pretty it actually kind of reminded me um of uh kamame shirahama's work a little bit uh which had atelier and uh oh, different yeah. but like similarly like kind of fantastical and detailed in that way i think it was all that curly hair
1: yeah I could totally i could totally see it
3: yeah i want to see her take on parasite kamame Hirash- Hir- shirahama's be interesting Oh, that'd be amazing. The art and, uh, would be so incredible. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> two stories I thought were interesting in terms of like, I mean, I guess elements of them were similar, but like I feel like the two stories are still different enough was uh, both stories from uh, Obata and uh, Suduga in particular that both kind of had the same twist in a way where it's like, oh, you think the parasite is one person, but it turns out to be the other one. Ah, Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: The Obata one, I was like, oh, it's the girl. Like, almost immediately, I was like, oh, the girl's a parasite.
0: <laughs> yeah.
3: Because she's like, I'm so scared. I'm like, no, you're not.
1: <laughs> uh, she's play acting, you feel like a mile away. I really like how they worked in uh, Lefty into the localization in this one. Like, because there's a joke at one point where he's like referring to his right-hand me, and that, oh, you're... Lefty looks cold or something. I like how they reference the Tokyo Pop uh, original name. (laughs) So that was nice. Nice little translation of Flush there. But yeah, there are some that like play with the idea of like, oh, is the parasite who you think it is? And then it turns out not to be like uh, the other one. I think you are mentioning like the one with the girl whose parents were like killed by parasitic and she's suspecting it by some of her classmates being parasitic herself, but no, it's actually the very popular male classmate who ends up pressuring her and like kind of commenting on the like, Oh, the relationship you have with your best friend is very parasitic. Cause you depend on her so much and only their food and require her attention and stuff. That one is the most of a bummer. I think out of all the stories in terms <laughs> of the end, because it's just this girl who like, you know, clearly Iceland really only had like this one friend. She was like relying on depending on like she gets killed. Her friend gets killed. All the classmates gets killed. <laughs> like it, it doesn't feel cathartic at all. Like unlike other stories where like the parasite like eats everyone. <laughs> so that was a big bar.
3: <laughs> yeah. It was another really pretty one though. I mean, obviously a lot of the artists here are very skilled, but mm-hmm. there were some that, that stood out to me and I liked the artwork in that one a lot.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to see. I think if I had to put my finger on it, I think I'd have to say my favorite story from the F collection is probably the one from uh, Mickey Reno, the Royal Prince, where uh, I, I I thought that one, like,, uh, that one had a lot of twists and turns that I thought really built up really well, where it's like, oh, this girl's in the hospital having a freak out, and uh, you know, she ends up getting infested by a parasite. And I, I love the moment where like she goes back to her house. And the parasite in her is like, oh, hey, there's like a meal left for you. And she's like, oh, no, I'm not hungry. And then it turns out her whole family's been killed. And it's a grisly Mm -hmm. scene. Um, But then it turns out like, oh, no, she saw that already. And like she basically had a mental shutdown or whatever and had had that memory repressed.
1: Yeah. No, that was why she was hospitalized at the beginning. It's like she was like freaking out from like the trauma of seeing that. And then that trauma kind of comes back. And I, that one's really interesting because the parasite takes over like half her face, but also has partial control of her brain. And basically towards the end of the story, when she like all the memories come flooding back, and she likes having her breakdown again, the parasite offers like, hey, I can take over the control of your emotions. So you don't have to like feel and think these things like you won't like completely lose yourself, but we'll be closer and then once it does that and takes it over that, it like it's feeling the her emotions. And it's like tearing up and it's like thinking, oh, is this what it means to like draw? And yeah, I thought that was like a really interesting like take on it from a psychological end angle of like what if the parasite had such control over you that it could affect the way you think and it can affect like the way you cope with like your trauma and and how you go about things in the world but you still have your sense of identity
3: deep down like i thought that was a super interesting take on it mm-hmm. and that one was also interesting because so much of it is like comedic there's like a lot of comedy in there like her, her the parasite is like reading shoujo manga to like learn about humanity and has taken all these like shoujo manga tropes and starts using them acting like a prince yeah but then it gets like heavy (laughs) it gets real heavy at the end but it is a sweet it is a sweet story
1: no especially with the detail of like her best friend was the stalker who was like threatening to murder everyone close around her and when the parasite took her over that basically gave it targets a list of targets to go after And it's brutal because she doesn't even get to save the senpai she's in love with. Like, he dies and then her friend dies. Just to cope with that in addition to the idea that her friend killed her family. And it's just really brutal stuff. This one definitely seemed to be one of the marquee stories because it it seemed in the issue it ran in in Arya, it got the cover and the lead color page. So this was uh, definitely one of the bigger ones. I definitely think there was a lot to the story in this one which
0: I appreciate. Yeah, those color pages are really great.
1: Absolutely.
0: I think two of the, uh, as far as like the comedic ones, uh, I really like the one from Miki Maki where uh, where Shinichi and Migi are like talking and like uh, eventually, because they start talking about like uh, stuff that gets like Shinichi excited and like uh, Migi starts talking <laughs> about like bloomers and stuff and then it ends with him uh, wearing Migi as bloomers. <laughs> yeah. So that, that got a good mm. laugh out of me.
2: Wow, Bloomers is so old. <laughs> <laughs> the Barbara Migi
1: is just like acting out like a high school locker scene between girls is like, also yeah, like yes. such a weird and That interlude. was really funny. It's very funny. Yeah. My favorite of the comedic ones, I think. Is uh, Emma Toyamas, in which like Yuko is reimagined as like a BL fan girl Fujoshi, <laughs> yes. and thinks that Shimada are like a gay couple, and like in this one she has a parasite in her right angle Miko, and like Miko becomes very confused and tries to learn more about why Yuko is so obsessed with BL, and then draws. his do Dujinchi to appease Yuko, a she Shimada, which Yuko tries to give the Shimada. So I thought that was very funny. I thought it was v- the visual side gag of like Mikiko forming the shape of BL when like you're, going- <laughs> <laughs> you're spying on Shuji Tsunada. It's also very funny which is a gag. I like how
0: to a lot of me. I just li- I just like that her parasite at one point just like basically like. All right, got to give her all that gay shit. Yeah,
1: no, you need homosexual (laughs) servings in order to function. That's why I a lot. And there's one point where Yuka says, oh, you were born to admire gay boys. And Miki goes like, I don't think that's it. (laughs) That was a funny one.
0: I think we mentioned it already, but the one from Yui Kuroe with the Parasital Tome game was also very funny.
1: Yeah. Like, the, all the like customers were like, what? This uh, is not appealing at all. This is so strange. But apparently, all the female developers really loved this, <laughs> really loved all these options. They were very popular with them.
0: Just such a funny idea. I'd, I'd play it
1: and they get so excited <laughs> with the fact that it's like an adult game it's like oh there's a bedroom scene but the, the reason why it's adults only is because it's very graphically wild in the bedroom scene the parasite eats the the heroin so that's a funny little like punchline to the whole thing too
0: But yeah, no, I would play that. I think that is a funny concept. (laughs) I feel like a lot of people would play that. I feel like you could make them a lot of money off that game.
1: No, I don't think they were wrong in the idea that, oh, there's a lot of appeal with a a certain type of fans who, you know, is uh, into this kind of thing.
0: (laughs) Uh, I know we were kind of talking about with the M Collection about, like, stories we weren't super into. I mean, how, how do we feel about, I guess, the ratio between, like, I guess I don't know what you would call it, like good and bad stories. Like I feel like there are probably more stories in the F collection that I liked more compared to the M one.
3: Yeah, I agree. I feel like for me the F collection was much stronger. I think, like you said, they're just a lot more um, kind of full stories with closure in here, yeah. um, which I appreciate. I think the the tone of a lot of them I, I like. I mean, obviously there's there's comedic ones, but a lot the tone of the less comedic ones is really. I don't know. I think it, it fits kind of with my ideas about Parasite being kind of a complicated situation where you have these, you know, essentially these monsters and these things that are threatening humanity, but like, is it okay and appropriate to just like wipe them out? And when, and when you see like they lead certain lives or have certain relationships with people, it kind of complicates the issue. Right. And there's a lot of that in the F collection. So yeah, I, I think for, for instance, on Goodreads, I think I gave Neoparasite F five stars and M three stars. Um, hmm.
0: I think that's fair.
3: Yeah, three is not like, three is like, I liked it, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, there were definitely like, I think, you know, when you have an anthology, it's always kind of hit or miss. Um, but I think there are way more hits for me in F than in M. Truthfully, I think M and F are
1: kind of close to me. I would agree that I think F, as a whole, like has kind of a consistent level of quality stories. I think M has the greater highs for me in terms of Hagio and Ota stories, uh, and then some of the other ones. So I, I feel like that that kind of balances out to being sameish for me. Uh, but I th- I really like both collections in general in terms of like the different approaches. But I also will say that to your point, I do feel like the comedic ones and epic least i do feel like they have more of a focus of the story rather than a collection of gags i think the most like gaggy uh, of the comedy stories in this one is the like cooking show one but even that kind of builds to a point of like the punchline being oh it's kind of messed up that humans have created this dish in oyakodon that it's like the parent and child of an animal are one dish <laughs> and i think that ties into the a team of like, in a really funny way well, also like you know, there still feels like there was a focus, there was like a message to the end of the the story, of the to that chapter. So, yeah, I do appreciate that about the F collections. Again, I, what I appreciate about them is that they are again like relationship focus story for the most part whereas the m collection feel like more w- broader world or concept focus but uh i think i like both approaches so they're they're more a similar level for me i think actually i do want to mention my favorite story in the f collection is Karayuki's, uh god and never never because that's like such a kind of dark little parable of, like like this narcissistic rich girl who like essentially is throwing away like like, all her problems especially in the sense of, like, oh, she killed this bird when she was a child and she throws it down this, like, hole in the forest. It, it said there's a god of a portal in this forbidden forest that, you know, it's born out of this legend that the baby that was born one got dropped there and the god made it disappear. And so, like, she, like, is dropping things down there that uh, she wishes disappears. And these are, like, the bird that her mother loved when she was a kid. And then this dog that she ended up killing accidentally by kicking it, like when it peed on her and then it ran away and it got hit by a bus or a car. And then she like starts luring people to it. Like she lures that dog's owner there and tries to kill her. And then she tries to kill her friend after getting jealous that she and her other friend are like super close. And she was like possessive over him. And I like that, you know, it has like the climax of like her kind of getting her just desserts in a way of like, like she's tricked by the parasite who is like taken over the body of that friend that she was in love with and then it kills her so i thought that was a really neat little dark story that was focused on this kind of twisted protagonist and then and went in an interesting direction and it played with the concept of the person in just a way to create this cool little monster uh, at the bottom of this hole that was like eating different things and then they, she let the monster out and now it's like it gets her and
3: it's roaming free so such a Yuki kind of story too. Yeah. It was like I was like oh yeah, I'm getting flashbacks to <laughs> the early 2000s and reading like Godchild. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I was like it was nice to see her her work. I haven't read anything of hers in a long time and I was like oh, this looks familiar. Yeah, I really like Alice in Murderland, so
1: her story was a real treat. I li- really like her art too. She can do some yeah. really cool twisted art.
3: I also like the also in the F collection, uh, the telepathist and the parasite by mm. Cassio. Yeah. which was kind of sad um, and sweet. It was a bittersweet one, but I th- it was really nice. It was another one about like this
1: parasite trying to integrate in human society. And then we have like a guy who kind of has the psychic connection to parasites, uh, much like Khan, the original series. And he ends up forming like a friendship with them. And yeah, it's a tragic thing. It's like he ends up saving this guy who would befriended him, but because he revealed himself as a parasite, like that, guy like instinctively like says save me before he realizes and regretted that decision because he he didn't realize in a moment that his friend was just trying to help him is like reaching his hand out to him and then like he disappears and goes away but the story ends on the note of like you know even if he's changed his face I maybe I can still recognize him because we were friends and yeah that was a really sweet little story too
0: Yeah, that one from Kashio, I thought for a bit that it was going to turn into like a BL story, which I'm I'm totally up for. Oh yeah, no,
1: I thought so too. I thought it was totally... Me too. I don't think it's not...
0: No, I think you read it that, that way. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's hints of it in there, yeah.
3: Yeah, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if the mangaka has done BL, because the, the look of it is very BL, like the the styles of the characters and things like that.
0: It kind of feels like a BL setup where literally, uh, I forget his name, but the, the main student guy uh, at first is like, I'm totally not interested in the transfer student. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
3: I'm not gay. I'm just I just in love with you.
0: He's handsome, I guess, but I'm not interested in him. You, you baka. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> and it has the same like melancholy feeling of some very like tragic BL um, yeah. stuff which, you know, whatever you feel about tragic BL, um it definitely has its place and I kind of like somewhat sad stories sometimes it's
1: quite a queer code and this idea of like forbidden friendship between these two people and then once one of them comes out they have to go their separate ways like you, you can make really make a very strong queer reading of that story
0: uh do we want to touch on any of the other stories real quick before we uh probably get into questions soon or
1: there are a few other uh really strong ones i think the one that we well, I had mentioned before that was really nice to see was a, a new one by Yuri Arshawa. and that one was the one about Shinichi's dad and exploring like how much of Shinichi's life in Parasite did he like really know in terms of like uh, did how much did he know about Shinichi's connection to Parasites and we find in this story uh, it imagines like oh his dad knew about Migi he had overseen when they like his hand transformed but he kind of kept that to himself like just waiting for shinichi to tell him. and like we have this moment after like shinichi has kind of finished his fight with goto like shinichi's like mulling over to confess to him his dad is just reassuring him you know no matter what like you are my son you know you are the son of me and your mother and then he thinks to himself that he'll always like love and protect shinichi in this world and then we have like this flashback to him reflecting on shinichi's birth and like his feelings towards his birth and then we get this context about shinichi being named and like originally his name was going to come from a combination of like characters uh from him his mother's name and that you know uh, the shin in his name was originally gonna be fate but uh after they third they taught over the name like Shinichi's I was thinking like the thing that struck to most about Shinichi being born was like like he's a new like single life that was brought into this world. And so the Shin in his name got changed to the character for new and so his name is the new one. And yeah I I thought that was a very like sweet story looking at Shinichi's dad's relationship Shinichi. And that, like, even though he knows that he, he's been through a lot, like, he, he just wishes the most and the best for his son and his happiness and blessings for old or new and newer. I just thought was a sweet sentiment uh, to end that story, too.
3: Yeah, I really liked that one. It's different when you've had a baby, for sure. <laughs> um, but I but I also just like that we have a perspective of a character who is kind of, you know, not not the main character or, or like one of the main characters. He's kind of separate from a lot of the action in the series, the main series. And he's an older character, an adult character with like, you know, a job and a family, which I, you know, I always, I'm always interested in seeing like different perspectives, like points of view in stories. And they're they're hard to come by sometimes when you get to like adult characters so it was really sweet and you know it's it's a little different as a mother you know because he was saying like the thing that strikes me the most is that like something that wasn't there before just exists you know all of a sudden this one you know and and his wife is like i've known that (laughs) since you know (laughs) since i got pregnant basically And, and it's but it's funny because i feel like my husband said something very similar when when our daughter was born it was very like i can't believe there's this thing that wasn't here and now it's here and it's alive you know what i mean it's like you know it's a very interesting um it's interesting to think that that feeling, which feels so special and so unique, is is actually something that's shared, you know, with parents all over. You know, it's very interesting um, and sweet kind of connection we all have, uh, which is something you don't kind of expect from a tribute to this, like, gruesome body horror series. But uh, I think Parasite's surprising in a lot of ways.
1: Oh, Yeah. No, absolutely. I think that's what's one of the appeal appears, you know, is there is a lot of like gruesome action and darkness in the story, but also at the core it is about like kind of these sweet intimate moments between like these different people, like just like uh trying to protect one another or just like cherishing one another. I, I think uh I like seeing that in a lot of these different stories a lot of these authors pick upon that and like wanting to explore that further. Like when Arashima, like, they always have imagined and thought about, like, he said, on um, like, how much he knew. And so I appreciate them, like, putting that in this, like, what if story. And I think they did it in a really sweet way. Similarly, I think another sweet story is Secret Library by Hajime Shinjo which is like about a story about like this girl who kind of uncovers the secret of like her classmate having a parasite in his back. And then in the process of like her running away from him, when the parasite in his back named Sally after his grandma's cat, It's is a little funny detail. Like, it, uh, you know, she runs away to the police man. Who's also a parasite. And then she gets rescued. And we kind of hear like the story of like how Ona got parasite. And basically his dad's company went bankrupt and he went in a downward spiral. And then one day like, killed his mom was about to kill him but then the parasite like went in his back and recognized that like his host body is in danger and so he ended up killing his dad and now he's kind of been living with this regret of like feeling responsible for his dad's death, even though it was a life or death situation and i just like the sentiment it ends on where the girl is like telling him you know hey you know i know you're feeling like guilty about this but i'm glad that you lived and you're alive because of the fact that you are alive you know you were able to save my life and I thought that was, you know, another sweet sentiment, just that, hey, I'm glad that you are alive. So you can be a part of my life and you have helped me. And so, you know, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that you're here with me. So I just thought it was another sweet sentiment uh, just of reflecting on the difference we can make in other people's lives, even if like we don't feel like uh, we're always making the most of us or we feel like, oh, what purpose do we have in being here? Like making a difference in someone else's life to like help them and make, the, and the fact that their life is better by you being a part of it, I think just a sweet sentimentalist explore.
3: Yeah, I like that one a lot too. Um, I like the relationship between the parasite, and Sally, and, and the host. I think I, I, I'm a sucker for that sort of thing too, which is why, again, I like Parasite because I like Shinichi and Migi's relationship. It was kind of sweet, especially when, you know, you have this kid saying like, it's, you know, I killed my dad. And the parasite's like, I killed your dad, not you. Mm -hmm, Um, I did that. You know, Sally is kind of taking responsibility because they know that, you know, their host takes it very hard, right? Mm -hmm. It's very sweet.
0: I like that the parasite is named Sally. That was 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 my favorite part. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I like that too. It's really cute.
1: Yeah. No, the consideration between parasites and their hosts uh, in some of these stories are very sweet. Like the fact that they recognize that, oh, they kind of are mutually cooperative, but they also like care about their hosts.
3: Right. I love that the excuse is always like, well, I need to keep you happy and safe because then I'm happy and safe. And it's like, yeah, but maybe you also just kind of like them. Maybe you're just kind of buddies. I think that might be the case. <laughs> yeah.
1: A really sweet one that reflects upon the Shinichi and me relationship in this collection was Always With You by Lala Ko Kojima, which takes place after, you know, Shichi as Shinichi fought the parasite who killed Kana and like ripped out its heart and is like washing his hands, which are full of like grease and blood. And just having a conversation with Migi about like life and stuff. And it ends with like Migi just trying to console you because he's feeling so distraught over this, distraught over like his state of mind. And he's like saying like, you know, we're friends and I care about you. And I can't like laugh or cry really. But like if you were to die in this hypothetical, I would visit you. I'd bring you flowers every day as often as you'd like. And here's, like, he's trying to comfort Shinichi. He's trying to move him. But Shinichi, you know, humorously, like, just says, oh, this is kind of creepy coming from you. But it's, you know, like, (laughs) a funny, jokey thing. But it is such a sweet sentiment that Migi is, like, trying to console Shinichi in this way. And, like, Migi looks extremely cute in this one. I think out of all the stories, Migi looks too cute. It's, like, his eye is, like, so shiny and (laughs) (laughs) adorable. Like, yeah, like... so that this was the, that was a very sweet one. I thought just as a reflection of the Shinichi Miki relationship, which you know a lot of these authors they really loved Miki. They thought he was so cute and so cool, so unique, and they really were fond of the Shinichi Miki relationship. I, I do think it was such a cool core strength, and I like seeing that reflected in like different explorations about parasite and host bonds and different stories. But yeah, like, do we have any other thoughts on, like, these collections as a whole and, like, what they explore with the world of Parasite and the themes of it and just thoughts on specific stories in general or overall cumulative thoughts on these collections?
0: Like I said, I I thought in terms of, like, just the, like, anthology collection of stories, I thought this was, like, the most, like, fulfilling anthology collection I've come across just in general. Like, I never really felt like, oh, like... Um, it's hard to put in the words. Like I said at the beginning, like sometimes when I go through like an anthology, like sometimes anthologies have this like, ha- have this sort of like chance of being like, like really hit or miss, like not every story is going to be like super interesting or whatever, or some are going to be more interesting than others. Uh, I thought I thought most of these at least had like one interesting element that like I could really get into. I, I think really the Hiro Mashima one is kind of the only one I thought was just like, and that was fine. Like, uh, mm. m- m- most of the other ones I still had, like, a lot of fun with. E- even the ones that were, like, more conceptual was, like, oh, like, you know, I- especially with the-, with the two of them from M that I mentioned earlier, it's like, oh, these aren't, like, just like, manga chapters or whatever. These are, like, uh, these are kind of more interesting, like, conceptually or whatever, with the sculptures and the concept art and everything. Uh, and yeah, I, I had a lot of fun, like, reading through these, and, uh, I would I would not be opposed to more collections of parasite stories because I think there's a lot you could do with like uh, the world and the themes of parasite and I think uh, these are good examples of that.
3: Absolutely, for sure. I agree. I think um, there are a lot of mangaka who I would love to see their interpretations of parasite, either you know the world or the characters. I'd like to see more of the like stories between parasites or human parasite relationships that aren't characters from the main story. There were, mm-hmm. I, I thought those were really interesting. I mean, I love Shinichi, and, and I think I like those stories too that tie directly back to the series. But it is fun to kind of explore the different kinds of relationships that can exist in a world with parasites too. So, yeah, I'd, I'd be really interested in in more from from a different group of creators to see what comes of it.
4: Mm-hmm. hmm
1: yeah. I definitely would love to see more tributes to Parasite. In general, I'd love to see more anthology works exploring classic series from the perspective of actors that have grown up with them and like really resonate Mm -hmm. with them. Like, actors who have like different things that they took away from the series and like want to explore in the world and with the characters. Like, the Neo Parasite anthologies have a great variety of those kind of scenarios, and I really appreciate them for that. And yeah, like, I enjoy reading these anthology works. Like, I I like the Attack on Titan and Ghost and Show ones, which are like American comic artists, you know, writing uh anthology like faculty pieces based on those series. But I don't uh I know there are like a lot of uh anthology works that do create created, but I don't know if we get a ton of them over here. But I would like to see more of these sprout up for like classic series and more of them get brought over. Because I do think they're really interesting to see how different authors like kind of approach the same concept and the same kind of world from different perspectives.
0: Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, I know JD, you didn't have like a ton to say, but I was kind of curious, uh, did our conversation make you want to, uh, go through these anthologies anymore? Did you have any more, do you have any more interest in like exploring these or how how, how are you feeling?
2: Yeah, I, I definitely want to explore them. I, you know, I would really want to see like, uh, like a, a version of Parasite story from like either Junji Atoll or Ooh, actually, yeah. Because Junji Ito, I love the artwork and it, and just the storytelling too. If anyone has read it Uzumaki or Gyo or even Smashed, like just the artwork in itself. Especially coming from a former dentist, like I'm I'm really <laughs> uh, interested in seeing how how they would draw the parasites and stuff. That's just my thing because I, I I used to teach anatomy, so I'm like oh yeah, like <laughs> really interested in that. Another one is Clamp, like, for one of the more, like, the F series side. Uh, Clamp is great at, like, taking these moments, especially in in just, like, regular lives sometimes. But they also have, uh, they have really great monsters, too, or or, um, not really villains, but, like, if you ever read Gate or anything like that, like, just have these great, like, like monster-esque, mythical creatures-esque look to their um, art styles. And I was like, I, I'd really want to see what they would come up with at, in, in their styles.
3: Totally, yeah. I think Clamp would be a really interesting one, a really interesting choice. Especially, um, you know, some of the of Clamp's older work um, is extremely detailed. Um, yes. and I I think that would look really good um, in the Paris. You know, the parasites would look really good in that kind of intricate, detailed style. Oh now I want it. And with Ito I can almost imagine like a
0: spiral-like parasite head. <laughs> yeah, <Got it>.
2: exactly. <laughs> like with the little bubbles and stuff.
0: <laughs> now that JD's put it in my head, I'm kind of like, why isn't that not a thing yet?
2: <laughs> yeah, right? you know what? There's one other artist too, and they're actually uh they're they're from Latin America, but they work in Japan now so as a uh, manga creator. Is I don't know if y'all know Felipe Smith. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> That would be very interesting because usually they have like they'll probably be more in like the gag or children area, but I would really like to see that just because it's like what if like so I would really like to see Bleepy Smith also tackle a parasite work.
1: Okay, absolutely.
2: Man, we should like get a wish list together and see if, who who can we send this
3: list to and be like <laughs> make it happen <laughs> or someone or Del Rey. Yeah, like <laughs> a
1: list of authors that we say, hey Kadancha. Gather these guys up and do another anthology
3: with them.
2: I can translate it for (laughs) y'all. There we go.
0: go. Got a volunteer right here.
2: Let's make it happen.
3: Oh man! So we're just gonna come up with like another whole anthology. Be like Neo Parasite Plus, (laughs) whatever. (laughs) Bonus.
0: I would, I would definitely read that. But uh, yeah, I think I think that's going to wrap up our discussion here soon. But I know we had a couple questions from, uh, left over from our original Parasite discussion that we wanted to go over.
1: Indeed. We got some late questions uh, last week that I thought would be great to go over on this episode. And yeah, we'll start off with some questions from Carveris32, who asks, if the events in Parasite were to happen in real life, what do you think would be the outcome?
0: mass hysteria Absolutely.
3: <laughs> the american government would weaponize them yeah
0: <laughs> yep
1: realistically that would happen in the age of social media i don't think that they would be able to keep it under wraps for as long as in the original, which is something we talked about in our last discussion but yeah social media would completely change the landscape of how the story would play out uh and how like the parasites you know, would be seen. And then there were be all this conversation about misinformation and quote unquote fake news at all. Like these are photoshopped <laughs> images. These aren't real. It's right. all elaborate hoax. It's all a conspiracy. And so you would have all, as we also mentioned before, it would become like a politicized bioharsen thing between like different radical groups, uh, especially radical right groups. And
3: yeah, it'd be a whole mess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I kind of wonder um, if it would. I mean, in some ways, this parasite situation is a pandemic. Mm-hmm. And yep. I, I kind of wonder, like, our, our response to COVID has been a certain kind of way. Um, and I wonder, <laughs> I mean, you know, I think the parasites are a lot more viscerally scary than, uh, you know, an illness. Um, but I, I kind of wonder, yeah, like when you were saying like fake news and this is Photoshopped and like that's I, that's kind of a lot of the conversation that's happening to around around COVID. And
1: no, if they were trying to do the hair pulling thing in real life, no. you would
3: have this contingent of people who are
1: like, no, you can't pull my hair. You're infringing on my rights. And people really? are wearing <laughs> <bringing>, like hats <laughs> over their heads to, so that and refuse to like let their hair pull. It'd be just like anti-maskers, like not like wearing masks. Like a mask for the hair. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there, some people get pull their hair.
2: You know, like oh, a hat or something. God.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you would no, have you like... Have- oh, you go ahead.
2: Oh, no, no, go ahead, Colton. No, I was just
0: gonna make a stupid joke. You'd have like uh, radicals who like start pulling out their hair, like, see, I'm not a parasite. P- pull out my hair to own the libs. <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> or
3: they'd all shave their heads. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Bring a whole new meaning to skinheads.
0: Oh yeah, um, what were you gonna say, JD? <laughs>
2: oh no, um, I, I thought that like when I was the theme of this question. I was just like, yeah, there's gonna be a lot of like the social media part definitely. This like gets on you know everyone right away. And people are gonna be like, uh, like you know you can't pull my hair and stuff. But there's also the side where people are like, no, they're still alive. We should treat them with humanity. You know, like I mean, if there's a lot of I think of like the zombie slash pandemic slash body snatchers kind of games and TV shows and stuff I was like yeah no like people are there's gonna be that subset of people are just like no treat them like you know just treat them with respect and love and then they just get eaten you know like and then yeah. a lot of people die that way <laughs>
1: <laughs> it would be like the end of Shauna of the Dead, where like the parasites yeah. end up getting integrated into society and used for like entertainment or like as cheap labor and stuff like mm-hmm. yeah. uh, expansion of the military idea. The darkest element, I think, would be like a eugenics application of like, oh, how do we solve the homeless problem? Well, we feed them to the parasites, which would be very horrifying, but like not something that I would put past uh, oh, yeah. people in politics.
0: Yeah, exactly.
2: And then parasites and politics. Yeah, oh, <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> like I'm <literally. laughs> like, how do you tell the difference? <laughs> Maybe we'd be better off if there were
3: parasites in politics. <laughs> <laughs> just we, we'd we'd just all be dead, and it's fine. It's fine. Yeah, <laughs> we like- don't have to worry about any of this anymore.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's you know what in parasite itself, where they're like, yeah, they can pull out the hair and not tell them like what's actually happening. Like I'm just like one if you're that close to a parasite they're gonna eat you or kill you like or both right? you know so i'm like that's stupid and then two like <laughs> why not tell people what's going on it's like oh my god body snatchers you know <laughs> like <laughs> you could die could be your friend like <laughs> what are you gonna do and uh, but then part of me is like from living in japan i was like okay i can see why like i, I know some uh, you know so wasn't like why would you tell people that but like and literally feels like, yeah, you don't want to cause a panic, but then it's like, people are dying though, like, yeah, panic, people dying, like, um, I, I don't know which one's like more important, you know? So, so I'm just, I just kind of understand it from the Javi's point of view, but it's kind of like, at the same time, it's like, why? <laughs>
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it would be a real mess if this really real life. So <laughs> I think our source it hasn't
0: Would it be too much different from what we're dealing with right now? Right. Not I know. Really. Like,
3: <laughs> we're already the world is already ending. It's fine. Let's just <laughs> just bring in the parasites. Potentially next. less
1: people would die from the parasites than they have from COVID.
0: Cheat, probably, actually, yeah.
3: Or at least they die quicker. Yeah. You know, less pain, not suffocating.
0: Less hospital bills. Oh yep. uh, boy, Let, let's go to the next question.
2: Yeah, this yeah. is grim. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> got as gruesome as, as you know, the whole thing. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, we have kind of like an ethical question. Like, what do you think about Shinichi's struggle in decision to kill Goto after he was in a vulnerable state? And would you have shown mercy, like they initially wanted to do, or would you have killed him for good, like
0: Shinichi did? I'm going to go with kill.
1: I'm
2: with you, Colton, on that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I feel like I would probably act like Shinichi, where it's like, man, I don't know about this. Like, I I feel like I'd probably feel bad at first, but then I'd be like, well, I gotta I gotta protect the people I love. So, I I probably wouldn't like doing it, but I would I'd probably do it.
1: Yeah, I think I would begrudgingly have to do it, knowing the consequences of letting him go, and not knowing the potential of him just reforming and not killing people, but like with those actors up to this story, like an infinity shoes. Yeah. I would have to, even though like I, the thought of it is just of like taking life is just very horrifying, but
3: yeah, yeah, I'm a weenie. I don't know that I'd even get as far as Shinichi <laughs> did uh, at this point in the story. <laughs> I probably would have yeah. died long <laughs> ago. <laughs> um, I, I I'm so bad. the idea of like killing someone is so hard. But um, but if if you're putting it in the context of like protecting loved ones, I think that that that's ultimately what my choice would be too is to is to kill him. But I'm I'm so ill equipped to even consider that. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, you know, I think of it like the, like zombies, like like you know, they're alive and then something happens and they're about to die or turn be turned or whatever, and it's like you have to kill them because otherwise they'll come back and eat you. Like
3: <laughs> I was gonna say, in some ways, that's also a mercy, right? Like, I mean, obviously, Goto is his own, I don't know, quote unquote person, but like he took over somebody else's body. That person is already suffering and died. You know, like that's a, it's like a complicated. um, yeah, it's complicated. Morality. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I think we'll end our question corner with a question about the ending of Parasite and our thoughts on it and the idea of ambiguous endings in general.
0: I, I thought I'm not I, I forget if we talked about this last time, but um, I thought Parasite ended as well as it could. Like, I, I didn't have any problems with the ending personally.
1: Yeah, I thought it was very satisfying. I think, like, it brought everything thematically and in terms of Shinichi's character arc to a really solid close. Like, uh, I mean, it's open-ending in terms of the world, uh, in terms of, like, you know, parasorts are still out there and stuff. But in terms of, like, the core concept of, like, Shinichi's arc and his, like, own identity crisis and then his, and reconciling with his understanding of his own humanity, I think it came to a nice closure.
2: Yeah, the the ending, I mean, it's really hard to end series like that, where you're just like, you're really aware that there's, the threat's not over, right? It's just that this one is over, you know? Yeah. And, and it just keeps going on. And it's just like, yeah, you got to end it somewhere. Like, you know, it's not like, it's not like One Piece where it keeps going, you
4: know?
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, and it's and the thing is, is like with horror or like science fiction, sometimes in fantasy, like it's hard to like, not just end it, but like, you know, have a finality, like, it's every problem is solved, right? That's not, that's not the way it works, like, like keeps going on, right? So I think it's gonna, you know, it ended the way it's supposed to end. And, and I think really, it's more of a question of like, you know, of course, humanity, but there's a lot of like, psychological and philosophical like questions that came up even when i was like watching or reading the series i was like i like how Mickey talked about like you know humans are closest to like demons than any other creature on earth and i was like that's that's pretty deep like wow i never <laughs> thought about that right <laughs> but, you know, you know? so so like a lot of those questions that come up there i mean they're not even even those questions aren't even meant to be answered you know they're just there you know so having an ambiguous ending that's just i mean it's it's kind of like something you you can't can, um predict really with a lot of these type of series
0: Iwaki wanted to give the reader something to think about
4: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> yeah and i i mean i agree i it's
3: been a while since i read it so i'm you know I think part of the reason I'm struggling remembering all the specific details is because it is open ended. But mm-hmm. I don't remember feeling like I needed more necessarily. Like I, I, I would love more. I would, I would read more. Obviously, I enjoyed these, you know, tribute stories. So I like the world and I like the characters. But I think, yeah, like JD, like you were saying, you you spun this huge global story. Where are you going to end it if you don't just do something about it? Um, at some point, you just have to like cut. It's done. We gotta, you know, clean it up. We're all going home now. Pack it in. But, uh, yeah, no, I think, you know, and I think a lot of manga in in my experience do kind of end open-ended like that, especially if they're kind of a big, you know, world-saving type story. It's hard to tie up every single end without going on and on and on and on. And I tend to feel that when a series keeps going for too long, it, it kind of loses its impact. So, so, Ending it where it ended and and keeping it kind of open does, yeah, it it opens the option of thinking about certain things, having those deep thoughts, and it also keeps it kind of special and relevant without like running the ideas into the ground, you know, forever. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. I I do appreciate that Iwaki was very much like, you know, my series could, I could write a series that goes on forever, or I could write something with a mostly finite ending and i chose to go with the latter basically yeah
1: yeah the series can either go on and die or it can end and he prefers (sighs) the latter which i respect a lot
0: yeah
4: yeah
2: uh
0: i think i mentioned it last time too but um i'm really glad that murano didn't die because i really thought that's what was gonna happen and i was gonna be really bummed if we were gonna end on that bummer uh note or whatever
2: yeah yeah i feel the same way
1: No, it's good that Shinichi's story has like a happy ending, you know, a sweet ending that he can, you know, be reassured that he can be with his loved one and also be reassured that like, even though Migi won't be talking to him much anymore, like he still, the jam will always be a part
0: of him. So
1: it's a sweet moment uh, in both respects.
0: I I genuinely thought this was going to have like a banana fish ending at first. Oh my god.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I could not. I I tried reading that and then I tried watching the anime series. I was like, I, I can't get past some of this stuff. So. But then yeah. later on, I was like, "Okay, you need to just just do it, just do it." It's
3: like, yeah, yeah i I've watched like three quarters of the anime, and like I, I was like, "This is depressing. I need to take a break." And that was like years ago. So
2: yes, <laughs> I was was one like, day I'll get back I, to it. I will watch it again later yeah. on
3: a year mm-hmm. later. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I do like what I what I watched, um, and I've read a little bit of the manga, but. Uh, yeah, I, I was like I need to I need to come back around to this when life isn't
0: so heavy. Yeah, Banana Fish is not a happy story. No. Yeah, it's very heavy.
3: No.
1: But yeah, I think that rounds up our parasite discussion and our neo parasite discussion in particular. And I want to thank you guys so much for joining us to talk about these anthologies.
3: Yeah, thank you for for having me. Uh again, it's been a while yeah, since yeah. I was on Among the Mavericks episode.
1: Oh yeah, it's been like Two years, I think. The last time it was our piracy discussion.
0: Are you sure it wasn't our B stars discussion? I forget which came first. B
1: stars we recorded before the piracy one, I think. But the B stars, I, so. I think you're right. The B, but the B stars one did come out after the piracy one. So
0: yeah, yeah. It was it was like around the same time. It's
3: still been two years. That was yeah. well, yeah. <laughs> 2019. So yeah, yeah. God, the last couple of years have been kind of a crazy blur it feels feels
0: like (laughs) 10 years have passed
3: i know yeah definitely
0: um and you know i want to thank jd for coming on as well um and i hope we can have you on again sometime
2: yeah definitely i am sorry i don't have like that much (laughs) neo parasite experience but i do i I will go out and, and read those i'm like oh wow okay didn't realize how expansive that was because you know when you someone an anthology i'm just like okay i'm gonna it's like a cd like an album you're only gonna like like two out of the 20 on there right
0: Th- that's so. how i thought i was gonna feel too yeah
2: <laughs> but, it, but based off of what y'all were talking about it's like yeah like okay yeah i think I'll, I'll go out and read it i'll probably like a lot of the stories but yeah thanks for inviting me i i'm i'm, I'm more of the old school parasite like reader
0: <laughs> That that's fine um no, th- this was this was still a good discussion, and I'm I'm glad that we could talk a little bit more about Parasite, because there's always a lot to talk about.
1: And I hope, Conantia, please give us an opportunity to do it again. License Parasite Reverse. I would like to read it.
0: But, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, maybe one day. I feel like that they have to pick that up at some point. There has to be some interest, but I guess we'll I see. I so, do it. So,
4: uh,
1: please pick up Moriota's work. I want to read that. I want to read Tepu most of all in English. Like, mm. well, I've read Tepu. I want it officially available in English, but please, yeah, yeah. Uh, Moriota's
4: work.
0: But yeah, once again, thank you guys so much for coming on. And I guess this is around the point where we should uh, ask you guys uh, where good listeners can find you. And um, JD, why don't we start with you first?
2: Um, So I am just getting back into the podcast circuit. So I'm on different things, but my main website you can go to is jade's escape um i talk about not really talk but write about um like different anime series or manga series uh as well as japanese culture um notes seeing that i lived in japan for a while so uh so if you're interested in that and um i also also cover like marvel and western comics shocker but uh <laughs> <you> know, stuff <laughs> like that uh but jades escape.com
0: all right and then uh morgana how about you
3: yeah, so um, you can hear me talk about manga on the Manga Machinations podcast. Um, you can find us at Manga or our Twitter is Manga Mac or at Manga Mac Podcast. Um, I'm not on Twitter a whole lot these days. I have a toddler now, so I don't. <laughs> excuses <laughs> um, excuses yeah, understandable. <laughs> yeah there's so much noise on twitter i'm like i have enough stress in my life <laughs> um but you can find me there at morgana Rolina. mostly i just retweet uh, manga mac posts <laughs> um most of the time uh yeah i think that's that's kind of where i'm at i my i do have a website but i haven't updated it in basically since i started my job at yen press <laughs> so um but that's that's uh manga-maven.com If you want to read some old reviews, um, they're there, and uh, you can find ways to contact me through there too if you're
0: interested. Mm-hmm. Um, listen to Manga Machinations. I'm sure we've said it before, but uh, I really enjoy the show, and I know Lum does too. So uh, if we don't give you enough manga talk on here, uh, yeah, you should, you should go listen.
3: <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. thank you. It's a lot of fun. Um, we have a we have a good time. We talk about a lot of I think similar things to you guys sometimes. Uh, we did you know we did Parasite a couple of years ago too. Um, we haven't done these new. Parasite collections. I mean, we have to steal this idea. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs>
1: um, no. no, I mean that vehicle a cool <laughs> episode. Yeah, I know that is a fan. So
3: yeah, yeah, DakaZu has read. Has I think has read these already. Um, but I think I think Darfox and Seamus would also enjoy them. Has DakaZu
0: read? Parasite Reversey, because I would actually love to know uh, what he thinks of it.
3: Yeah, yeah, he mentioned that he checked out the first volume. I think he did. Yeah, I think he he mentioned that at one point in one of our uh, what you've been Readings, But he reads so much. <laughs> That's true. <Yeah. laughs> um, okay. So yeah, yeah, I think I can. I maybe I'll I'll prod him next time. He and I are both on the on the podcast. Be like I, you know those those manga mavericks guys. They want to know more about Reversey. <laughs> why don't you Why don't you uh, give him a little bit? Um, <laughs> But yeah, no, I, I, uh, it's a, it's a fun podcast, and and thank you so much, you know, for inviting me on and for for talking up Manga Mac. I'm the new kid on the block. I'm, I've been a host with them for, well, I guess two years now. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. But they've been they've been doing this for seven years, I think.
0: Oh boy. <laughs> um, yeah,
3: no, they've they've been in it for a long time, and they've always done a lot of really great stuff.
0: So. Mm-hmm
4: absolutely
0: um but yeah i think that's gonna about do it for us uh on this part of the show anyway but before we end the show completely uh i'm pretty sure we have some community shout outs to get to Lum.
1: indeed so let us go into a different sort of ontology, an ontology of different things we want you to check out Thanks again to Morgana and JD for coming on the show to talk about the Neo-Parasite anthologies with us. It was a lot of fun talking about these ontologies and getting thoughts on the series and thoughts on like these different stories that are reinterpreting Parasite. It was really cool to us too. I really enjoyed talking about anthology work on the show and would love to do so again in the future. And of course, we'd love to have Morgana and JD back on again to talk about more cool manga, horror manga, or otherwise in the future as well. Now, of course, I have some community shout-outs before we wrap up the show, including if you want some further thoughts on Parasite, I have a few recommendations for you. Sequential Inc. did some really good reviews on Boat Ontologies, Boat MNF, going over what they thought were really interesting about each ontology book in terms of the stories that stuck out to them, in terms of things about the book that they appreciated in terms of like the author's comments corners and how that informed like what they were interested in in terms of like how they went about drawing the stories. And so I thought both of their reviews on both ontologies were like really nicely written and got to the heart of like what made them interesting. For a broad spectrum of perspectives on the anthology book, like say an anthology of reviews on the anthology, anime news network covered Parasite M on their manga guide a few years ago. So you have a bunch of different reviewers each give their own takes on what they found interesting about the book, and I really appreciated rereading through those again, as I did Rebecca Silverman's review of Neoparasite Parasite F, where she you know was able to compare each of the stories to each other as well is draw upon like some literary comparisons and then go over some stories that really stood out to her and what made it an interesting short story collection on its own. So yeah, I think that both of those pieces are also just good looks if you want to get even some more thoughts and perspectives on the neo-parasite ontologies. I don't know that's it for neoparasite-specific things, but there are a variety of different articles and videos I want to recommend to you for further reading and uh, further exploration. Continuing off of uh, ANN articles I want to shout out. Grant did a really great review retrospective on One Piece Strong World kind of in commemoration of like the film recently getting limited theatrical screenings recently and it was a really nice reflection of like Strong World at one point in time is kind of sort of the apex of like One Piece's animation quality as like a big theatrical event and nowadays you know in a post np Wano world you know the Strong World film it just doesn't look as good and it does not feel as like Grant in scale, as some more recent entries of the series. But what it does have and what is appealing is that it's a kind of a nostalgic look back at a time where One Piece was a little more smaller scale and it had some more self contained adventures that didn't require like a lot of references and deep cuts into the lore and knowing a bunch of things. So it's like a nice look back at like a really strong, strong little story in the One Piece universe. And the film still holds up on its own merits in terms of storytelling and it still looks pretty good in its own right too. And I I I really appreciate it, and I definitely would agree with that after also having revisited Strong World in the theater recently. And yeah, I think Grant was very on the mark on his uh, re evaluation of the film. I also really appreciate Christopher Ferris' recent article in about watching all the dirty pair or his reflections on watching on a dirty pair and like talking about what he finds interesting or things that, you know, he would like to let people know about in terms of what is interesting on the series, what holds up about it, what he kind of wishes could have been done, like, you know, having it air on Adult Swim or something. And then. You know, like, talking about different aspects of the franchise, like, touching upon, like, the OVA series and how it's different from the TV show, touching upon the films, touching upon Flash, and then other interesting entries in Dirty Park franchise, which I think is a good, like, overview and primer of, like, the franchise and, like, different parts that are interesting, parts that may have been overhyped by some or underrated by others, and I thought that was a really good overall piece on that. And series and I'm really looking forward to going through the entirety of the franchise soon as well. Now the Kickstarter kind of has been funded and like that big box set release is like coming our way uh, with the new English dub and all that. And I found an article I want to shout out is like a really important, really great one on them that explores kind of the racist trolling of like the whitewashing of. Like, black or people of color anime characters that happens on social media through, like, the Annie Twit hashtag that is, like, you know, it's just such a clearly racist campaign when you, like, try and, like, whitewash, like, darker skin and outright black anime characters and yeah this article does a really great job of like exploring kind of the difference between that and then the trend of like reclamation the trend of like race banding in terms of like artists reimagining anime characters as black or as darker skinned and how that is completely different from the whitewashing thing in terms of like the power times in terms of like what it meant in a community space and what it meant in a fandom context and really the article does a great job of just like, going through, like, kind of the history of the systemic harassment of, like, Black fans in fandom, and Black fans' attempts to find representations through their art and creativity, and then how, basically, the designs of these, like, campaigns are, like, criticizing... The race bending of characters of fan or criticizing cosplayers for like just cosplaying characters is really rooted in the sense of like kind of entitlement, the sense of ideas of like they don't want to have any non-white people in their spaces. And so, so they are trying to say, well, you get your own space. But then when people do get their own spaces, then they invade those and say, Hey, we don't want you here, even here. It's, it's just clearly targeted harassment. It's just clearly rooted in racism and exclusion and so i think this article does a really great job of outlining this problem in the community and exploring why it is so necessary and why it's so important to uplift creators who are trying to make spaces for and create art that expresses their feelings of inclusion, expresses diversity in the space. And so I thought this was a really, really great article, uh, to touch upon this really disgusting issue that has been happening for the longest time that, you know, I think it's really important to, for people to understand that, yeah, like, when you see these happen, like, the whitewashing characters is not equivalent to artists, like, race-bending characters to reimagine them as black or people of color at all. So like, yeah, this article does a great job of outlining the reasons why. For a discussion on anthologies, I want to shift to like some discussion, some videos that I found interesting. And you know, we talked about the small anthology in the near parasite series, but Canopa Effect did a really great video recently on anime anthologies as a concept through, you know, the primary focus of the Star Wars anthology that came out, the Star Wars Visions, but also touching upon the anime tricks and Pokemon generations and other interesting ontologies like Short Piece and how anthologies are a great way for creators and series to experiment with different styles. In a context that they couldn't do on TV animation or like as a future film, and why anthologies are just so free and creatively in that respect because anthologies are a series of short film that really uplift each other and help bolster each other by associations, and especially in connection with large franchises. So it Basically allows these creators, you know, uh, a degree of an intention that they may not get with an individually produced short film. But also the pieces help support each other by association, by creating like a shared thematic narrative or connection. And in anime, like in anime anthologies, have seen a lot of creators really interestingly play with different experimental ways of visual aesthetics, of animation... Like, really pioneering, like, kind of innovative techniques of e- creating animation as narrative, storytelling, and as art. And I think it's a really great piece exploring, like, kind of the merits and the trill of, like, witnessing and watching anime anthologies. And then, similarly, I really enjoyed the latest AniTube anthology on Star Wars Visions. And tube anthology, if uh, you're not familiar, is kind of a sorta of yearly tradition in which many different antitubers kind of Combined together to create kind of like an anthology of short films based around a certain theme. And this year, everyone who got involved in the project all did videos on Star Wars: Vision. So you had a different creator, a different YouTuber, basically tackle one of the short films and create a piece on that. And they did that all without having seen the film beforehand. Like they started, uh, they chose their film that they were going to cover just based on like the early promotional materials and trailers. And so they didn't. Know know what they were what you expect when they got into actually watching and creating a piece about it but a lot of them like all of them found really great interesting angles on each of the short films because they are so different and interesting and so you got some really great paces from Caribou-kun, Under the Scope, Ella McDeer, Beyond Ghibli, Kaze Talks, Swanse Pop, Evanito, and Replay Value, and I really enjoyed watching these anthology uh, videos and thought they found some really great takes on each of the stories and what makes them like interesting and stand out in the context of the entirety of the Star Wars Legends anthology. Moving on from the entiti'es, but sort of thematically kind of going back to themes in Parasite. I wanted to recommend Folding Ideas video on Jamie Oliver's War on Nuggets, as it were. Jamie Oliver, as you know, is like kind of the celebrity chef who has made a variety of these cooking shows. A lot of them are challenging the idea of like what people are eating. Like he's very anti-junk food, anti-fast food. So a lot of his shows are like Going to classrooms or going to schools or whatever and basically trying to tell kids that, Oh, what you're eating is wrong. It's not healthy. Like I used to watch his show he had a show like ten ish years ago on Fox, I think, that I used to watch. And I remember like he was like where he had the chicken nuggets. And it was like, Oh, they they're feeding all these fats food to kids and it's just terrible and one of the big things he does in his shows or like in his demonstrations he tries to show kids like what chicken nuggets is like made out of and the idea is oh look these nuggets are made out of the disgusting parts of the animal isn't it so disgusting how chicken nuggets are made and it's so funny like that you know it's a viral club that you people may seen going around like he tried to do this for one group of kids and he asked them like what did they think that they still want to eat chicken nuggets after seeing how they were made? And all the kids raised their hands. So it's a big oh on Jamie Oliver. But yeah, so what Foley Ideas video does, uh what Dan's video does, is basically he's looking at kind of the, you know, pretty blatant classism in, in Oliver's, like, anti-nugget stance. Like... Nuggets are not necessarily the most healthy food, but Jamie Oliver's take of like, oh, like nuggets is a low class food made of like unwanted parts of the bird is inherently classic because it seems like, yeah, you know, you there are are parts of the bird that are good to waste, or parts of the bird that aren't have don't have any value. When really the only reason that is is because it's cheaper so it's so-called not the prime cuts of the meat but for a lot of people not only is that what they can afford more but also it is still nutritional like that you can still make nutritional meal out of it and for a lot of people you know that's kind of what enough so a lot of Jamie Oliver's shows all of his take is like completely removed from his understanding of like the economic needs of a lot of people and also the systemic problems that, you know, require people to eat certain food to only have access to certain foods. And so I think Dan really kind of touches upon a really good point of, like, this idea of classism in this... of like shaming people for not eating healthy when oftentimes it is a matter of like access it's a matter of affordability and it's also that yeah, philosophy is one of kind of wastefulness because it's like assuming I mean, hey this is you know perfectly cromulent you know food that can feed people and you just want to waste it because it's like not the high class food you have in your mind and also going into again like the politics of like eating healthy you know it takes a lot of time and effort to eat healthy and you know make food healthy and you know if people don't have that if they can't afford to have the time to do that you know of course like they need to be other alternatives for people so i think overall like if when we're thinking about this idea of our relationship uh between us and our food and then how we consume and eat our food i think yeah this video did a good job of really touching upon kind of like a, a lot of different systemic issues in terms of like accessibility in of like why people need to eat certain things or so, like, you know, why a lot of this idea of like people saying that you like or shaming people for not eating healthy, quote unquote, can often be rooted in like this classism and uh, a sense of misguided superiority and whatnot. And the final shout outs I wanna mention are like two, you know, podcast things that not really related se, but I think it's uh interesting whatnot. Talking Senses is recently done a uh, new mini-series they're doing on their Patreon called Blobby About Batman, which I've really been enjoying. And they have a free preview of their episode... On their fee- like public feeds right now, that I would recommend because it's a really great episode. I recommend you subscribe to Patreon reach- to check out the series. I've really been enjoying their talks about uh, different episodes of the show. They've kind of picked their, like their fan favorites, and they've chosen some really really good ones.
0: Sorry, I just want to second that real quick because uh, I've started listening to that too, and also uh, c- it's kind of my first time getting into Batman the animated series. I'm very late. Really? On- I'm ve- I'm very late on watching the show. Because I'm pretty sure I never watched it as a kid. But I have to say, uh, I knew it was good, but I didn't think it was going to be this good. Um, I also just want to put out there that uh, you should also listen to their original What a Cartoon episodes on both Heart of Ice and uh, Almost Got Him. Especially on Almost Got Him, because I think that might be my favorite episode so far that I've watched.
1: Yeah, I mean, Batman and series has a lot of great standout episodes, and, you know, it speaks to the strength of the series that they've chosen a lot of really great episodes, but there would be others that I would say, oh, man, I'm I'm sad they're not doing, like, Two-Face, or they're not doing the Clayface two-parter, or they're not doing some other episodes, but, you know, that just speaks to the strength of the show that there are so many, like, interesting episodes, and it's fun to revisit it, and they've, again, chosen some really standouts, because there's a lot of really great standout episodes in the show, but they, they chose some really nice Nice One. So, yeah, definitely check out their. If you're interested in their uh, episodes that are wearable free on, again, Heart of Ice and Almost Got It, definitely check out the Patreon miniseries for thoughts on other great episodes. Mm-hmm. And my last thing I want to recommend is that Cartoons Like Curse recently finished off their coverage of. Archer seasons one through five, and it kind of took a while with all that starts and stops and interruptions with like doing movie months or whatever. But it was fun to see them revisit the show as early seasons, and it was fun like revisiting the show alongside them because it was a good excuse to rewatch the show. And yeah, I enjoyed their thoughts on like every season so far. I'm glad they were all in good consensus that Archer Weiss is great. Personally, it is my favorite season. I no, it isn't my of the early season, I think is my favorite. I think that probably dreamland is my absolute favorite but it was like great that uh i'm glad that they all uh because it seems like uh they had really fond memories of the earliest seasons but like not as uh they don't remember the middle seasons as much and i haven't seen the most recent ones so it was great to like see them kind of go through the show and like i personally think archer gets better as it goes along but i appreciate their thoughts on the early season what they find super appealing about it and i'm joy and even I will enjoy uh, them going back to it at a later date. But right now, I'm also enjoying that they've taken a detour the home movies. Ooh, and that, yeah. discussing that as well. Because, yeah, I love uh, to see some home movies, get some, revisit some love, too. But, uh, yeah, that does it for the shout-outs I wanted to mention on this episode. And I think that we had, uh, like, a cool variety of different shout-outs uh, for you guys to go check out. Similar to, like, the anthology of interesting stories and the parasite anthologies. So, there you go. And... Go off and explore all those. Well, we all go off and uh, wrap up the
4: show.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not sure if we want to talk too much about what's coming up on the show because you never know, things are kind of up in the air right now, but we do have some really cool stuff coming up closer to the end of the year that uh, I hope you guys are really looking forward to
1: absolutely we got a lot of podcasts that we've got planned to come out a lot of things we're working on and so yeah you have a lot to look forward to towards uh, podcasts coming out at the end of the year and stuff that we're working on towards for 2022
0: oh yeah and uh yeah i guess until our next episode we'll just let you guys know where you can find us uh, starting with you lum how about you
1: you can find me at lumriasha on Twitter, it's Lumorashia, write a piece the animation reflection and analyst, or on Lumorashia, that's where you can find me. You can read my reviews on onjashcomic.com, or rather the new manga but you know, you could also type in onjashcomic, it's the same thing, you can still redirect there. But basically, yeah, my reviews are all on there, and we have a lot of books coming in, a lot of reviews going out, so look forward to more on there, that's where you can also find my other podcast that I do, called Manga Side Movies, where we talk about anime movies, primarily, and then hashtag Lumb Squad, the podcast I do with my good friend Andrew A.C. Goshimura, where it's just a wonderful Wacky World, Room Haka she's Yurusi Gatsura. We've been having a lot of fun going to the manga and putting out some new episodes this month and next month, and we're also doing episodes on the movies now that they're on control, and now that they're coming out on Blu-ray, and really excited to get around to covering those. So We've been having a lot of fun talking the series on the show recently, and we have hopes that you'll enjoy Listen to our discussions as well. And if you like the art I do, the illustrations I make for these podcasts, and the illustrations and animations I make in general, you can find that stuff on my Instagram, AppSetArtWorks.
0: All right, but as for me, I'm Colton. You could find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. I also host and produce a lot of other podcasts on the side besides this one that you can find links to over at my personal blog at coltoncorner.wordpress.com where I have a page dedicated to whatever podcasts I'm doing, uh, including past projects uh, that I'm no longer doing, as well as a bunch of guest spots I've done over the past couple years. Uh, so if you're interested in any other podcast I'm a part of or have done in the past, uh, you could find all of them there. At ColtonCorner.wordpress.com. Uh, as for Manga Mavericks, uh, you can find every episode of the Manga Mavericks podcast on MangaMavericks.com. That's where we post every episode first. Unless you're a patron of ours at Patreon.com slash Manga Mavericks, we're at the $2 tier. You'll have access to select episodes of the podcast depending on when we have them edited. If we happen to have an episode of the podcast edited early, we will put it up on our Patreon for patrons to listen to first before anyone else. Uh, But that also depends on kind of our time and our schedule uh, and just how much we have done at any given point. Um, So if you want more uh, reliable content, you want to sign up for a $5 tier where we upload one bonus podcast at the end of every month. Uh, right now, the latest bonus podcast you can listen to is our second to last episode of our Saint Seiya Manga Marks Book Club read-through, where we are going through the original Saint Seiya manga by Masami Kuramata. It's my first time going through the manga, as well as my friend, Doctor, from the Ask Backwards Enemy podcasting network. And yeah, I've been having a lot of fun reading through the series. We're almost done. We only have a couple volumes left. Uh, so sign up for our Patreon if, uh, you know, if you, if you want to listen to us go through all of Saint Seiya. And uh, basically catch up by the time we uh, get done with that series uh, that is all available on our Patreon at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. It's really the best way for you guys to support us and everything we do here on the show really helps us keep the lights on, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And, uh, you know, just in general, we appreciate any patronage you happen to throw our way. And uh, yeah, we just we just can't thank you enough. Uh, once again, that's at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. Uh, But as for everything else, you can follow us on Twitter at Manga underscore Mavericks or on Tumblr at Mangamavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at YouTube.com slash Manga Mavericks, where we post different excerpts of the podcast as well as some exclusive content every once in a while. Again, that's at YouTube.com slash Manga Mavericks. Email us anything at Mangamavericks at gmail.com. What are your thoughts on Parasites and its... uh, and it's uh, Neoparasite Anthologies. What manga are you reading right now? Uh, you know, what are you reading that you want us to talk about on the show? You know, email us anything about manga or the podcast or really anything. We love getting emails from you guys. And if you send us an email, we'll read it on the show. Again, send us an email at, manga-mavericks at gmail.com. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts or... You know, wherever you listen to us, we're on a bunch of different platforms at this point, wherever podcasts are sold. And, uh, yeah, you know, when you leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts in particular, it really helps the visibility of our show. And just in general, we love getting feedback from you guys, because whatever feedback you happen to send us, positive or negative, we want to use it to help make the show that much better. So we really appreciate anything you send us our way. Um, And, yeah, that's going to be about it for this episode. This has been episode 183 of the Manga Mavericks Podcast. And we'll see you guys next time for episode 184. Bye, guys. Sayonara.